Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is Football Social Daily. Twenty twenty two twenty three for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. File it under another season without a trophy for Spurs. Drab, dull, dour, disappointing, all words that have been used to describe Antonio Conte's side last night as after a goalless draw at home to AC Milan, they go out of the Champions League. How long does Conte have left at the helm? Out of contract in the summer, but could Daniel Levy say ciao to the Italian much sooner than that? On the other side of London, have Chelsea finally sparked into life? They are through in the Champions League after beating Dortmund midweek. Is it just starting to click into place for Graham Potter perhaps? And after five days of embarrassment, disgust and a whole load of memes, Manchester United returned to the field tonight in the Europa League last 16. There are more than seven reasons to perform this evening, that's for sure. But after calling his players unprofessional in the wake of that Anfield slaughter, how will Eric Ten Hag approach tonight's affair against the Real Betis side managed by a familiar face amongst Mancunians? All of that to come on today's edition of Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall McCorn and alongside me a man who, if all goes to plan for his side this season, will be booking Thursdays off of work next term. Newcastle fan Marley Anderson. How are you doing, Marley? Oof. I hope so. Um, <laughs> I've got... I've got credit in the bank now because my my wife has just spent nearly two hundred pound on a Eurovision ticket for for May. So <laughs> that to me says I've got two hundred pound to spend in in August when we go to rural Bulgaria to take on CSKA Sofia or something in the uh, the Conference League, and I want an away day in. Uh, in Bulgaria, so yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully we get there. <laughs> well, forget about booking Thursdays off. This man should have booked the whole week off up till now, considering what his side put up for us on Sunday. Also joining us, Manchester United fan Joel Tudor. All right, Joel. Yeah, it's been a, a really rough week, hasn't it? Um, from coming into the office during the Carabao <laughs> Cup victory to the next weekend, not wanting to show my face. So that's the uh, highs and lows of football, isn't it? But let's see if we can rectify it tomorrow. Uh, today, sorry. 
Now, the big news this morning is that Antonio Conte is at risk of losing his job at Tottenham after they were eliminated from the Champions League last night. That means that the 2008 League Cup is still the last trophy that Spurs won. And this week on Football Social Daily, we've been speaking to a man who played in that game 15 years ago and what a character he is. Pascal Chimbonda was our guest on yesterday's show and he's played with players like Bale, Modric... And even Zidane, but there was one Spurs teammate who really stood out and he scored in that 2008 Cup final win. The one I would say I play more with is Berbatov, you know what I mean? Yeah. Wow, that player is a class player, man. I can't tell you, is this something... It's something different. People say he's lazy. Was he lazy in training or not? Yeah, yeah, he was. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was lazy in training, but it was more... It was worse than me in training, lazy. But when... For me, like... Okay, training... It's good. It's part of football. You know what I mean? But the most things for me is important in football is a Saturday game when it's <laughs> yeah. a league game. That's for me. When it matters. Yeah, that's yeah, for yeah. me the most important. Manager will say, say, oh, Pascal, you're a lazy boy, you know, in training. <laughs> but when you're in the pitch uh, playing a game, I love you because you give everything, you know. That's I like a play, manager told me, you know what I mean? But I know I mean, training is important as well, you know. But Berbatov, wow. This guy, man, is a player, man. And any any striker or any player would love to play around him, you know what I mean? Because, oh, he do things like... Intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Class. Everything he do is class. Class. You see when he was a player at Man United? Yeah. Wow. Wow. You can hear more from Pascal about his time at Spurs and Wigan in the Premier League just by scrolling back in the timeline to find it there. And if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss any of our episodes with former Premier League players that we'll have for you in the future. But for now, we've got to start by talking about the fact that Pascal's former team Tottenham are out of the Champions League. It compounds what's been an awful week for Spurs, really, aside from the Premier League. They were knocked out of the FA Cup seven days ago by a championship club and now they've been knocked out of the Champions League. So their two stabs really at winning a trophy this season have evaporated in the space of a week. It's not been good, has it? But I guess with Tottenham, Marley, you come to expect it these days, which is a shame for a club of that size and stature. Yeah, you do. Um, it's unfortunate because they've got the talent um, in terms of personnel, in terms of manager to... Uh, you know, to to go and and do bigger things. You know, the worst teams have won have won cups, but I don't know what it is with with them. It's just uh, you know one step forward and, and two steps back. It's not um, you know not conducive to a team that goes and wins things. It's um, you know that just they look like they've totally run out of ideas. They don't. There's no create creativity in the team. You know, nil nil against AC Milan. I'd argue that's a worse scoreline than losing. Um, you know, four three on aggregate after a three three draw because at least then you've you've addressed some of them problems and scored three goals at home and against a decent team. But to fail to to break them down, you know, they almost conceded a few times. I'd say AC Milan had had more chances, um, particularly the, the particularly the one right at the end when when Spurs were chasing the game. Um, I think it was a Rigi, but yeah, it's it's just it's so poor that it's you don't know where they go from from here and. Every all sort of all signs now just point to a change in in the summer or maybe even sooner. But with Levy's track record of of saving money and not wanting to spend where he doesn't need to, there's no point in sacking a manager and paying him compensation. Um, so it it does seem like a a separation on the cards in uh, in three months' time. 
Well, you're right. Conte is out of contract at Tottenham in the summer. But as Marley mentions, there are rumours circulating on social media and indeed amongst Spurs fans that he could actually lose his job as soon as today. In terms of what Tottenham are fighting for, it's a top four place again this season. And I thought Peter Crouch made a really good point on TV last night, Joel. And I used to feel similar about Arsenal when Wenger was scraping to get them fourth in the Premier League every season, only for them to lose in the last 16 or the group stages of the Champions League. What is the point for Tottenham, apart from the financial incentive, but let's talk about the sporting incentives here. What is the point of trying to qualify for the Champions League every season when, when it comes down to it and you're in a knockout game, you put up a performance like that where you need to score goals and you end up putting in a real limp performance and you go out. What's the point of qualifying if that's the sort of standard you're going to put up when it comes to it? I don't think the Arsenal and the Tottenham situation are comparable, to be honest, because Arsene Wenger at that time truly had his hands tied behind his back where he was only able to make pretty much free transfers for a good three or four years. Whereas Tottenham, they've actually invested pretty heavily over the last couple of years under Conte just because they've had to. Otherwise, Conte would never have taken the job. Uh, And I'm sure they're, they're the assurances that he would have got when he first joined. But I feel like with Tottenham, the way I see it, they've completely lost their identity. I don't think they know who they are as a club anymore. Because when you look at how they were under Pochettino, it was very, very clear what they were trying to do, which was, okay, granted, during that time, they were on a pretty shoestring budget. Uh, The season that they got into the Champions League final, Pochettino had only spent nothing in that summer. And he managed to get them all the way for the first time and so close to actually achieving it. And then once Pochettino left, they resorted to the almost surefire quick route to success, which was hiring managers who were, you know, Jose Marino, for example, just was on the back of being sacked by Manchester United. They bring him in. They thought it was a short, quick way to success. It wasn't. Again, they did the same strategy in getting Antonio Conte. He was probably a little bit more of a wiser choice. But we all know that it's very 50-50 with Conte. He either achieves the absolute, absolute utmost best or he's a complete failure and it all ends in tears and I just feel with the way in which the Premier League is just so competitive now and the likes of Manchester City, Arsenal, United, Liverpool, even Chelsea as well with how much they've spent, Tottenham are fighting such an uphill battle that I feel like they need to go back to the drawing board and understand who they are as a a club again. Are they going to go for more of a younger manager who can bed in the young players again, like what Pochettino did where he brought through Kane and he brought through so many of the younger players and they were really smart in the transfer market? Or are they going to go for the same route, which was, you know, maybe uh, get Allegri in, for example, someone who's been there and done that, but you're going to end up with the same situation we're in at the moment. And I just think for Levy, he's almost tried to shortcut his way to winning. And I think we've found recently that it just doesn't always work. They need to get back to the drawing board. And I just think for Tottenham fans as well, the fact that they've got such an amazing stadium, uh, Harry Kane's still in the form of his life, is almost like a missed opportunity now, especially the FA Cup this year. Like we know, there's three Premier League teams left. That was the perfect opportunity to go and get a trophy this year. And they've completely fell on their faces. And I'm sure for Tottenham fans, it'll be just massively frustrating. So I think this summer... We have a massive shake-up at Tottenham in terms of what they want to do going forward, who they actually are as a club. After last night's game, as you'd expect, when Tottenham go out of a competition like this, Antonio Conte was quizzed about his future. And he says at the moment he doesn't know, but he's made his thoughts clear to the Tottenham board about what he wants to do. He didn't reveal what those thoughts were. Let's have a listen to what he actually had to say, because I think it's very interesting. About my future, I think that uh, this is uh, not the right day to 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 speak about my future. But I have a contract with uh, with, with with Tottenham, and then 
Tottenham know very well that uh, uh, which is my thoughts. And uh, at the end of the season, uh, and then uh, uh, yeah, we'll meet and then uh, we'll make a decision. I'm really sorry for uh, for the fans. We cannot invent the win. This is important to know. This uh, we cannot invent the win or to hope in one miracle one day that a trophy uh, go into our training ground or into our pitch. We have to build. We have to build and uh, to have uh, uh, patience. And uh, yeah, patience. I understand that uh, for, for for the fans, they don't have patience because for lo a long time, Tottenham is not winning. Antonio Conte there, Marley, saying that the fans need patience, but he understands and he apologises to them. And he also says that he can't invent a win and that Tottenham need to build to get closer to winning a trophy. The argument would be they've had 15 years to build. I think it's quite rude to tell uh, a fan base of a club that they need to be patient after 15 years of, of no trophy. Um, and you look at the squads they've had over the years, you know, Bale's been there in his, in his prime. Um, Harry Kane's been there all his career in his prime. Son's been there in his prime. Modric, Van der Vaart. Uh, there's been loads and loads and loads of talent come through the ranks um, at Spurs, either by coming through the academy in terms of Kane or, or being bought in by the, you know, the likes of, of Modric and, and, you know, others as well. But, yeah, it's um, it's a brave move to to then say, oh, we, you know, we can't invent this because I, I don't know about anyone else, but there is no part of me that expects Conte to be there past the summer. And those those comments last night, like you know, we can't magic something out of thin air, and I've made my thoughts clear. Like I don't even know why he said he's he's made his thoughts clear because everyone knows what he's what he's asking for. He's asking for more money and more investment in the summer. Um, in terms of I want to go and spend X amount on on this lot. Um, and Daniel Levy, if that is the case, um, is is more than within his rights to say, well, if I give you all this money, what changes? Because I give you money last year, you know, you spent you spent money on Emerson Royale. Was it was it thirty million? And then six months later, you wanted Pedro Porro, and we had to go and spend forty five on him. It's just bizarre. I think you're right. I think you know the question with is Conte a failure? I don't know if it's fair to say that because all Spurs managers before Conte have been a failure. So I think it's both. I think he has been a failure because if you look at the team last night, that team should not be drawing nil-nil at home to AC Milan when you're one goal behind in a two-legged tie. Um, the fans have called the football fossil football. They've called it drab dour, um, boring to watch. I saw one Tottenham fan on social media said that it's the most negative football he's seen in 50 years of supporting Spurs. So I think it's double-edged sword, Joe. I don't know whether you agree with that. What I took from his comments was almost as if to say, because we've never won trophies as a club for a long time and they don't have that heritage like Milan has, they almost are not entitled to win it. Is it? Is that not his job? Because we know that Antonio Conte... I get it, but he, there must be patterns emerging because Tottenham have spent £50 million on managers. Conte, Jose Mourinho, who was sacked before a cup final, which is just inexplicable for me. They spent all of this money on managers and they still haven't won. This is what I mean. It's like I said in the first point, they've lost their way. They don't know who they need to get to bring the club to where it needs to be. And I just think with Antonio Conte, his, his comments are almost contradicted to who he is as a manager because he's never been a manager who hangs around for very long. He knows what he needs to do and he's been backed. 
it's not as if he's had his hands tied behind his back. They spent a good amount of money under uh, under Conte to the point where he really was calling out the board at one point as if to say, if I don't get investment, I can't do anything. So they said, okay, let's get you Pedro Porro for forty-five million, a new right back, since it's so um, pivotal to your system. He's got him, and now it's almost as if. He's looking at his squad and looking at the competition. You're looking at AC Milan. He keeps mentioning the Scudetto winners. Has he watched AC Milan this season? They're so far off where they were last year that it's not even a, it's not even a reason. When it comes to these kind of nights, it doesn't matter if AC Milan have won seven Champions League trophies. The fact is, Tottenham have a better squad than AC Milan right now. They should be beating them. So he's almost using it as like a, some kind of aura reasoning an excuse it's not an excuse when you're at home and you're at Tottenham's ground you should be beating them that's the bottom line so I feel like he's trying to squirm out of that as if to say it's some kind of supernatural power that's against him it's not he's a great manager and he should be able to lead his side into a victory against Milan they're not the Milan side that won in 2007 by the way they're not the Milan side that last got to the quarters in 2012 this is a different look Milan side you don't have any of those kind of players so for me it's just the very easy way to say it's out of my control Control, no accountability. This is a Milan side that is being led up front by Divock Origi, who couldn't get a game at Liverpool, Olivier Giroud, who's 36, and <laughs> right. Ibrahimovic, who's 41 and injured. Like, I know they've got Rafael Liao, but you know, the first thing you think about Rafael Liao is where's he going in the summer? Because AC Milan are now a selling club, they sell the best players, they haven't got Kaka, like you say, Inzaghi, Crespo. Um, Sadov, Gattuso, Shevchenko they haven't got these players anymore they're not these. They're not this team so you, yeah you, you, Joel's right you should be beating them at home in the Champions League when they they rock up and they've got you know Sandro Tonali in midfield like okay decent player but he's not he's not incredible so yeah it's it's poor because it still means that Portsmouth there 11th in go. League 1 have won there a trophy more recently than Spurs I knew you were going to say that <laughs> Before we go any further, though, I did want to bring something up on today's podcast, not strictly Premier League related, but I saw it going around on social media last night, and that is PSG, who were knocked out of the Champions League by Bayern Munich. Listen to this list of PSG players that they've had in recent seasons or in seasons gone by. These are all names who are on their top appearance makers list. Mbappe, Neymar, Thiago Silva, Matuidi, Cavani, Ibrahimovic, Verratti, Lavezzi, Di Maria, Kaylor Navas, George Weyer, Claude Makélélé, JJ Okocha, and then you add into that the likes of Ronaldinho, Buffon, David Beckham, Sergio Ramos. PSG have had all of those players in years gone by, and they've not won the Champions League. Well, Niall, you just have to look historically at does a Galactico method ever win your trophies? Never. It never, ever wins. When you look at that Madrid side of 2004 where they got Zidane, Ronaldo, blah, 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 blah. They won nothing. They won absolutely nothing. They didn't get anywhere near the Champions League. The reason why you win Champions League is because you have a plan in place. And when you look at Paris Saint-Germain, even when I was there, I almost felt sad watching them three when they were off the ball because it felt to me like they were in, they were, they were in, they were in the retirement home. It felt to me like that was their last resort. It, it felt strange to watch these top, top plays in that league. And I just think for the Qatari kind of regi- regime and what they've wanted, I still, I think Paris Saint-Germain is similar to Tottenham in that they've lost their way. They don't know who they are as a club because when they were most successful, they were bringing, let's not forget as well, Paris is one of the biggest hubs in Europe for producing talent, point blank. Why are they not nurturing that? 
They have incredible players in that city. And yet they feel the need to constantly have to go out and make these Galacticos signings, these players who are coming for a payday. Nobody in Europe who's a top player is coming for a dream to play in Lijun, the Uber Eats Lijun. It's ridiculous. They want to play there because it's a final payday. Sergio Ramos, do you think he wanted to dream of going to Paris Saint-Germain after winning everything with Real Madrid? No chance. Lionel Messi, you watch him when he plays for Paris Saint-Germain. He's, he's still riding the crest of that World Cup win. For me, he's as good as retired being there right now. He has no desire to win the Champions League there as compared to when he was at Barcelona. There are a, a side who goes for a manager who is ultra prestige to a manager who's a local French guy uh, who's recently managed Nice. They're constantly flipping and changing. They don't know who they are as a club anymore. And for me, I don't think they'll ever win anything until they start galvanising what is what makes Paris a great city, which is the local talent. That's where Mbappe's from. That's where Paul Pogba's from. That's where so many great players have come from. Use it. They've got an incredible academy system. They've tried a load of managers as well and it hasn't worked. But PSG, much like Tottenham, out of the Champions League. Chelsea, though, despite all of their troubles, they're through to the next round. And we'll talk about it after this. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is FSD, an award-winning Premier League podcast, and one of the Premier League sides got through in the Champions League earlier this week. That was Chelsea, who ended up beating Borussia Dortmund. I think it was 2-0 in the end, overturning a one-goal deficit from the first leg. Despite all of the chaos and all of the problems happening at Chelsea Football Club right now, a much-needed result against Leeds in the top flight at the weekend, and then a big result on Tuesday against Dortmund. Do you think, Marley, they're beginning to spark into life now, or is it still a bit too soon to tell? Uh, it's a bit too soon to tell, but but I do still I do think that um, Chelsea just needed one performance and one one result to to say you know this will click in the end. Um, and they look pretty good against Dortmund. Like outside of the goals, they they did look um, a, de- a decent side. You know they controlled the game. They had the most sort of um, like they had, they were in control of it basically. Um, so. It's it's huge. It, it it has to be a turning point for them. Like Kai Havertz said afterwards, like he was very um, very uh, what's the word? Sort of strong in his in his defence of of Graham Potter, and he said, look, like people are criticising him, but we love him. He's great on the training ground. He's you know he's a good man manager. He has the the feeling right. We just haven't got it right on the pitch so far, um, but we'll you know we'll get it right, and we did tonight. That that type of uh, comment. So for me, like I I hope I hope he this is. A start of something for them because I think I, I don't like it when managers do well um, with smaller clubs 
and then get to a bigger club and get just binned off pretty quickly. I like to see them break that ceiling because I, I hate the idea of, of the ceiling being there because then you get the same type of managers running the big clubs and you get the same type of um, pound for pound very good managers staying at, uh, at clubs because they're scared to move on and scared to dream and have ambition in the game. So it's um, it's it's one of them where I, I hope that it is a start of something for them. Hopefully they don't nick any European positions off Newcastle in the meantime, but that's another that's another thing because they're going to be strong. When they do get it right, that, that front, that attacking lineup and that team in, in general, Chelsea, is going to be insane because once they click, you know, it, it, it's over for everyone, I think. Like, Xiao Felix, Kai Havertz, if they sign a striker and he gels in the summer and they finally get that number nine problem solved... They could they could win the title next year easy if they're all on the same page the talent is there to challenge Arsenal and Manchester City but it needs to be there and and the Dortmund game needs to be the start of it. Going back to what Joel said about Galacticos and PSG, maybe that Chelsea side of 2012. In terms of the star quality, I think it's probably more in this team now. But in terms of how poor they were in the league that season, I think they finished sixth or seventh in the Premier League that term. Chelsea and then they went on to win the Champions League under a novice manager in Roberto Di Matteo. I'm not saying Chelsea are going to do that again. Marley mentioned Kai Havertz there, Joel. He's come under massive fire recently. Let's put it that way. He's come under some real criticism for maybe not being a central striker. I would argue that's not his fault and that Chelsea do need another centre forward. Is he the right man for the time being to play up front or do you think that they should look at other options? What do you think? Well, when you watched him at Leverkusen, the reason why he was so good there is because they didn't play him as an out-and-out striker every other week. He was just the kind of centre-forward behind the striker where he can operate between the lines, doesn't have to be the last man. Um, and for Chelsea, it just seems like he's been the fall-on guy because they've just not been able to anchor down a striker. It was strange because they bought Romelu Lukaku for such big money and he was meant to be the guy who was going to be in front of him. And obviously that didn't work out for whatever reason. And now he's been the fall-on guy. And just like Marley said, I think they are one striker away from just having a bit more of a set system. But going away from the game, when I watched the game just in general, I was a little bit disappointed just in terms... This is a little bit of a sidetrack point, but just in terms of the Champions League quality in general, I'm starting to think that the Champions League's dying off a little bit in terms of what it actually is. Because this last 16 in terms of what is given, if anyone watched the, the game yesterday between Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern, it was such bad quality in terms of what I'm used to seeing in the early 2000s, in the 10s, of all these very good top, top foreign teams who were incredibly strong. It feels like now this new generation of, of new teams where like the old guard's starting to retire and they're the last form of players that were in that generation it feels to me like the quality is dying off and there's a massive imbalance in Europe now in terms of where the, all the quality players are which is the English clubs and yeah, does that when open you look the door at the for game, Premier League yes, teams then to go on and win these sorts of I think yeah, I, I, I definitely think so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea can manage to go all the way to the final now to be honest and that's purely because they have the quality if you look at Dortmund they're rivaling Bayern Munich at the moment in Bundesliga I think they're level on points so before this game you would have thought gosh Dortmund are going to rival incredible challenge to Chelsea I saw nothing of a title challenging team in Dortmund at all and even when you look at Bayern I know they're looking like very strong at the moment but again I didn't see much from them to suggest that they're one of these top top teams in Europe who are going to go and win the competition so it's a little bit it, 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 there's a massive imba imbalance happening at the moment and I'm not keen on the way it's going 
Although I do think that Napoli have a massive outside chance this season. But again, when you look at the likes of Manchester United beating this Barcelona side, who've conceded nine goals all season, they've been, you know, heralded as an incredible side in Spain. I didn't see any of that at Old Trafford. I didn't see any of that at the new Camp as well. And that's where I was seeing this imbalance come to the light when these teams actually play each other. And it's almost sad to see because like we mentioned with the AC Milan side that we talked about, the Real Madrid side, they were the teams who we were used to who were punching for punching pound for pound against the best English sides and now I'm not seeing it anymore. So it's a little bit disappointing for me. But I, if I was Chelsea now, it, like you said, Niall, it's almost like that Di Matteo type season where the league's gone. There's nothing to play for realistically and I would not be surprised if they end up going all the way and going to the final to be honest and trying to Tells a nice victory in the final. <laughs> well, you mentioned Dortmund there, and obviously every time we talk about Dortmund, Marley, we've got to talk about Jude Bellingham. That's the way it works, isn't it? So I'll ask you, like I do every single time that an English team comes up against Borussia Dortmund, is Jude Bellingham coming to the Premier League in the next transfer window? <laughs> uh, it's only a matter of time, isn't it, before he comes, which is, I do feel a bit harsh on Dortmund saying that, but I think everybody knows... And Dortmund probably know as well. They're you know they're quite happy to take if they can get 110, 115 million for him. They're quite happy to reinvest that. They've got a good youth team. They've got a good scouting team. They always know what's coming next. If if player X goes, you know they had um, they had Haaland go and and immediately signed Haller, um, and he was banging them in until he got you know diagnosed with his with his illness and then fought for a while to get over that. So you know it's. Um, They'll, they'll have already had the next guy lined up. I don't know who it'll be, but and it, it it's just gonna. They're just I think gonna, they've mentioned it's that um, Japanese international Kamada from Frankfurt. Dai, Frankfurt, Daichi yeah, Kamada, he's a, is it? He's, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there you go. You know that could be that could be the the uh, sort of conveyor belt behind him. So it's just where where he ends up on the conveyor belt. Because who 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 wants him? I think Man City could do with him. Um, in terms of I think Liverpool, they, need midfielders desperately, Marley. They do, but is it? At, would they would they pay that for him? You know, Liverpool fans love to tell you that uh, they don't spend that much money, even though they do. But um, <laughs> well, the owner's said, hasn't he? The Liverpool owner has said, despite him him kind of casting the rod out and looking for potential investment, he said in the last few days that he is staying and he's no intention of selling the club. So yeah. Henry is there to stay. So in terms of investment on players. He'll have to put something forward, surely, because the fans know that they need midfielders. Yeah, and I think this this mid this um sorry transfer window coming up is is going to be a really interesting one, the summer one, because there's a lot of players. You look at Declan Rice. Yeah, you could you could like go. Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham are for sale this summer. Rice because he's never staying at West Ham after they finish what a maximum of thirteenth maybe if they have a good end to the season. Bellingham, as we've just said, he's always for sale. It's just a case of who's who stumps up the money and in and in what sort of instalments or lump sum or whatever. So they're for sale. So if Liverpool had serious ambition, they could sort the next the midfield for the next ten years for the sake of 150 million, maybe. And then you sell some you sell some squad players and you get some of that back, you know what I mean? You sell Diogo Jota, for example. They've got six forwards. Like it's it's not uh Firmino's leaving on a free, but you know, if you could sell Jota for thirty million, that pays for half of Declan Rice, for example. You know, could they go and get him? So, I look at that and think, with with Bellingham, would he would he want to go to Liverpool? I I think he could be convinced, but ideally, I think he'd want to play for Man City, learn play alongside De Bruyne for two three years until De Bruyne hits thirty five and 
maybe his legs go or something, but Gundogan's probably going to leave this summer. And you look at the depth in Man City's midfield behind them centre midfielders, uh, and I, I don't I don't see that much there. I think Foden's now towards a wing. Uh, Phillips doesn't look like he's settling in properly. Um, you've got Rodri, who plays a different position. So you're looking at that number eight thing, and you're saying if Gundogan goes, there's a big hole there for Jude Bellingham. Um, and he could be the next Kevin De Bruyne sort of thing. I see what you mean, but I think I would lean towards Liverpool if I was going to make a prediction, just because he's going to come straight into the side and instead of, you know, playing a bit of Pep roulette where he gets put on the bench every now and again. I think he'd get in the city side though. I think he would get in the city side, but you know what Pep's like. If You, you know, yeah. he, he does rotate quite a lot. I mean, um, and, you know, Jordan Henderson, he'll know Bellingham from England um, and, you know, they need a kind of a natural successor to that English leader in the basically been of the flirting park. with him all England camp. That's his only. <laughs> that's his only mission. <laughs> but, but I also when he goes think the Marley's camp. got a point with the players that Liverpool could sell. For instance, for instance, Nat Phillips, they'll probably sell him if they can get 10, 15 there's, million there's for him. Twenty-eight quid for you. Yeah, yeah, a couple of <laughs> couple of Mars bars and a bag of crisps. Um, <laughs> someone like uh, Oxay Chamberlain, for example, probably will end up departing. They're on big wages. Like even people might listen, think, and go, "Are oh, you not going to get much for Oxley Chamberlain?" But Oxley Chamberlain's on. I think he's on one hundred and twenty grand a week. It's staggering. Like, I think. Yeah. It could be. Could be more. Naby Keita has been okay, but they paid fifty million pounds for him. If they can get twenty five back, I think they've done really well there. You know, you think of some of the other players as well that they've got. Um, Curtis Jones is another one. There's players there that could probably be moved on to facilitate a bit of cash back in the coffers to maybe make a move for Bellingham. But as it stands, Bellingham is at Dortmund and Dortmund are out of the Champions League. Chelsea are through to the next round of the competition. Graham Potter starting to turn things around, it seems, and still backed by the Chelsea ownership as well, by all accounts. Next up, though, on Football Social Daily, we're going to switch from the Champions League to the Europa League because there are games tonight and there's a game for Manchester United, their first match since getting destroyed 7-0 by Liverpool in the Premier League at the weekend. How on earth is Ten Hag going to go about picking his side for this one tonight? We'll talk about it after this on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode again. And if you scroll back in the timeline to yesterday's show, you'll hear our interview with former Spurs, Wigan and Blackburn defender Pascal Chimbonda. But now on the show, we're going to look ahead to tonight's Europa League game. I nearly said Champions League then. But Manchester United are in the Europa League, of course, tonight against Real Betis, another Spanish side for United after they knocked out Barcelona in the round of 32 playoff game. But they go into this match completely deflated with the confidence following the cup win, the confidence following the Barcelona win completely evaporated by that 7-0 embarrassment at the hands of Liverpool at Anfield on Sunday. So how on earth, Joel, does Eric Ten Hag approach this? What sort of team does he choose? I've just been thinking how the game's actually going to go from a United standpoint. I think Manuel Pellegrini basically described it best which was he doesn't know whether they're going to continue going down into a downward spiral or is if they're going to come out with a, a knife in between the teeth and completely go uh, go for broke and really try and prove that that was a blip last week I just think in the way in which he's responded to the media this week um, and questions about Bruno Fernandes and if he should be the captain and did they down the tools, did they give up? It felt to me like nothing's really changed in his eyes. He's more so looking for a reaction from the players who actually played that game. 
And as we've all discussed as well, he's very rare in his changing of the team. He likes to keep it a strong team. He doesn't like to mess around with, just because it's the Carabao Cup, I'm going to play all of my second string players. I think he's going to go really strong tonight and try and allow those players to be in the spotlight again and prove to, prove to Old Trafford that that was something which can be nipped in the bud and buried and never talked about ever again, please. Because that's all I've heard. Every time I look, it's like that cognitive bias. You know, when you think if you want to buy a yellow car, you see yellow cars everywhere. I've just been seeing number sevens everywhere this last week. So um, I think it's going to be a game where I'm really, I, I'm just, I, I don't know how they're going to react, but... I didn't realise, and I totally forgot that Mamor Pellegrini was the manager of uh, the Villarreal side who had Riquelme back in 2005-06. And I saw a qu quite crazy stat, which was that he's played against United for Villarreal. Um, he's managed Villarreal against United four times, and all of the four times were nil-nilers, which is 10% of every Manchester United nil-nil in a European competition. So... If anyone likes a bet, maybe a nil-nil might be a good one to go with because he seems to like nil-nils against United in Europe. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a difficult game because Real Betis, they're flying in Spanish League at the moment. They're fifth in the league. They just held Real Madrid to a nil-nil, poetically. <laughs> so I don't know how it's going to go, but I think it will be a game where United will, um, will come out all guns blazing. I said top of the show that there will be a familiar face amongst Mancunians in the dugout. And that is, as Jules alluded to, Manuel Pellegrini, the former Manchester City manager, won the title, of course, with Manchester City. I mean, Joel thinks he'll pick a strong side. I think he will as well, Marley, because there's almost two schools of thought here, isn't there? You punish the players by not picking them for the next game. But Manchester United have almost got too much to compete for, for Eric Ten Hag to do that. So do you think that maybe the punishment, if you will, has been undertaken on the training ground by them being brought in early on the Monday morning, the day after the game, and probably been made to do a serious amount of running around the pitches and stuff like that. So do you think all of that kind of, that punishment has been delivered on the training ground rather than what we're going to see tonight? Probably, yeah. Um, I'm, I'd be interested to see what, what has actually happened because I'm not sure what what you can sort of, what you need to do after you've been battered 7-0 by Liverpool what what do you need to tell the players like they all know they were they you know they turned in probably the worst performance worst team performance you've seen in Man United for the last 25 years so it's you know I don't know how how much that needs to be drilled into them but you know with Ten Hag being as he is he's probably done something but I wouldn't be surprised to see a completely unchanged team tonight because there's no more motivated set of players to bounce back than the ones that just got you know, played off the park at Anfield four days ago. So I, I I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe one change, maybe maybe two, but I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it was unchanged if if there's no new injuries or whatever. So Casemiro, Rashford, Veghorst, you know, all all starting and trying to redeem themselves a little bit because Man United aren't far away from winning this trophy really. They've just knocked out Barcelona who were flying. Uh one of the you know, two of the most historic clubs in the in the world, you know, competing in the last 16 stage. So Man United should be targeting this and, and should be under no illusions that they can go and win this tournament. And, you know, if, if they beat Betis 4-0 tonight, you know, nothing puts the wind back in the sails better than the same bunch who've lost um, at, at Anfield turning over, you know, a, a good Real Betis team. Some of the players you've mentioned there, 
I think you're right, we'll probably play tonight. The one you didn't, interestingly enough, was Bruno Fernandes. And all of the talk this week play. has been about Bruno Fernandes and yeah. whether he should be stripped of the captaincy and because he put his hands on an assistant referee, which I won't go into now, but I think that's nonsense, by the way, because the assistant grabs him first. Um, so let's look at it objectively here. Self-defense. It's not, it's, it was such a <laughs> pathetic kind of thing yeah, to was, drag yeah. an argument out of. I mean, it's just so p- petty. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of talk's been about him and whether he should be stripped of the captaincy and because he stopped running and stuff like this. And yet, when you look at the numbers and what he's delivered for Manchester United in the last few years, in a time where it's been very, very fallow for them, um, has he been treated fairly? Do you think that he will play? What, what do you think that situation looks like going into this? I, I think he'll play. I don't think he's, he's in any danger of getting dropped. I think he's obviously in the best Man United team. Um if I was Bruno Fernandes and, and Carthorst is starting at number 10 ahead of me, I'd be fuming. Um, even if it was after that, that 7-0 game, he's, he's still the best creative midfielder they've got, I would say. Um, especially with Eriksen out as well, because he's probably the one you'd look at as well and and say, you know, a chance is going to come from one of them too. So, yeah, I, I think he'll start and it'll just be water under the bridge in, in the end of it because nothing's nothing that Fernandez did at Anfield is new he's always been petty he's always been very uh like on the edge like he, he flips over a lot he gets booked a lot for dissent he moans he, he whines and stuff like that but at the end of the day he's a good player and he's in Man United's best 11 every time so I don't see why he wouldn't start tonight and I'd be surprised if he was on the bench because I think that'd have a negative effect on him I think that'd make him start overthinking things a little bit more and you know, just let him play, let him get back to what you, you know he is. And he'll be hurting, he'll be one of them, like I said before, he'll be one that's desperate to put this right and, and stand up and be counted, I think. You're a United fan, Joel. What do you make of this whole Bruno Fernandes situation? I've heard that he should be stripped of the captaincy, he shouldn't play for the next four or five matches because of his attitude against Liverpool. I've heard people say that he should be banned for six months of putting his hands on a linesman. I mean, what do you make of this? Or you're the United fan here. Yeah, it's just, it's a witch hunt, isn't it? He's the easy target just because he's a big personality. The captain at Anfield, of course, everything's going to be blown completely out of proportion. And when I think when Ten Hag got asked the question, he was almost bemused as if to say, what, off one game, you feel like you could target this one player? Absolutely every player on that pitch, if you're going to go go about it that way, then yeah, every player should be sacked then. Sack everyone because they weren't good enough that night. That's not how football works. You give people the chance to react to their wrongs. And in this situation, like Marlis just said, Bruno Fernandes is a great player. That's the absolute bottom line. Yeah, he has these antics where he can be a bit petulant at times. And when the wind's not going his way, he does seem to not be able to get his mentality to a, to a position where he can fight against it. And that's one of his flaws. But the bottom line is he's one of our best players, easily top three best players at the club. It wasn't great to see, especially for captaincy. But again, you have a chance to prove yourself again now under Old Trafford lights on a big European night. And I just don't agree with the reaction towards it. It just felt like, it feels like Manchester United is easy targets. So if that was, let's say, Aaron Wan-Bissaka being the captain and he didn't track back, there's not a chance that there'll be a magnitude of reaction to what he did. Whereas I feel like at United you have Rashford who's an easy target, Maguire's an easy target, and Bruno Fernandes is an easy target. Those three, I feel like for some reason they have the personality where they're from 
and just the way in which they play, which makes people easily go towards them, whereas other players get to kind of take a step back a little bit. And that's just the way it is. Manchester United's a massive club and the spotlight's on these kind of guys. Marley mentioned a second ago, Joel, that he thinks Manchester United should be eyeing up the Europa League. Obviously, Arsenal are still in the competition. We won't have time to talk about them on today's podcast, but they'll, with the way they're playing in the Premier League, feel like they've got a good chance of doing a Premier League and European double this season. So... Do you agree with Marley? Do you think Manchester United, despite what happened on Sunday, are still one of the favourite clubs to go on and win the Europa League? Yeah, absolutely. When you look at the teams that are left, I know Juventus is still left in it as well, if I'm not wrong. And then obviously you've got Arsenal as well. It's still tough, but I feel like the incentive for Arsenal to win it and the incentive for United to win it are two completely different ends of the spectrum. Where I think if Arteta was to go out against Sporting, I don't think he'd be that dissatisfied just because then he has another free week where he can literally lead up to every Premier League game completely fresh one week of uh, complete rest whereas with Ten Hag I still personally as a United fan I'm not completely convinced that the top four is such a done conclusion because the teams behind are starting to edge a little bit when you look at the table there's not it looks as though there's a big gap but we start to play a lot of tough sides and the gap can start to get bridged quickly so this is again another opportunity to potentially secure obviously one silverware but two a complete champions league play so the incentives are a little bit different with being at risk of sounding profanely arrogant Marley and extremely biased towards Premier League teams if I read you the clubs that are left in the Europa League this season Joel's already touched upon a couple of them Sporting Arsenal Union Berlin Royal Union Saint-Geloi Leverkusen Ferenc Varos Roma Real Sociedad Shakhtar Donetsk Feyenoord Manchester United Real Betis Juventus Freiburg Sevilla and Fenerbahce if it's not an Arsenal-Manchester United final, depending on how the draw goes, then I'll be shocked because they're clearly the two best teams left in the competition. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I don't... I mean, like Joel mentioned Juventus before, but this is the worst Juventus that's been since they came back up from Serie D or whatever it was. So, you know, they're, they're struggling along now. They've just had the the uh, the points deduction in Italy, but even with that, there'd be 10 points off Napoli, I think, or something like that. Um Sevilla, yeah, but do you not know, think uh, it's going to be even more incentive because the top four is like fifteen points off? Maybe, but I don't think they've got the talent. I, th- I think they were they were. I think they were only just in the top four when they got this um, this uh, deduction. So I just don't think they've got the talent to to hurt teams. Um, not 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 the likes of Man United and Arsenal, especially if Barcelona can't beat Man United. I don't think uh, Juventus have got a chance to be honest. But uh, you know, there's not that many big teams out there. Sevilla, are, are, they've been fighting relegation for all season. I think they've, there's a bit more daylight between them and relegation now. I think they're like 13th or something, but still, it's not. You know, they're they're not a threat, even though they've got the the history of winning this trophy you know, seven times or whatever it's been. But you know, Union Berlin are punching above the weight in Germany. I don't think that would would continue to to win a European trophy. I think I think that'd be mad. French Varos. Wouldn't mind an away day there, to be fair. <laughs> what, no. in Hungary? I mean, Marley's right, though. Freiburg, who Juventus have got, are fifth in the Bundesliga and level on points with Union Berlin. And, you know, I think they're seven points off the top at the moment. I was just looking at the La Liga table and Sevilla are level on points with the 18th place club. They're 17th. They're out of the relegation zone on goal difference. So, I mean, you, this is the standard of the clubs left in the competition that we're talking about here. Yeah, it's not... Uh... 
it's not so sometimes like you know the teams drop out the champions league and you think bloody hell the europa league looks as good as the champions league this is not one of them years it's uh it's it, i don't i try not to be too disrespectful of other other clubs and other leagues but in all in all truth they don't hold the candle to to the two Premier League teams and this is going to look terrible in three months time when it comes back in Union <laughs> Berlin are champions and they've just beat French for us in the yeah. final and we'll get angry tweets saying Marley doesn't know anything about football because he can't predict the future so bring it on we'll all go to Hungary for the title parade Ferenc Varos are 14 points clear at the top of the Hungarian league <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe an away day there might be on the cards Joel you never know Manchester United first though need to get through uh, Real Betis, who they play the first leg of their Europa League last 16 game tonight at Old Trafford. That will do us for today's edition of Football Social Daily. We'll be back again tomorrow looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League games. And as always, there are some really big matches in the offing. Don't forget, you can listen back to our interview with Pascal Chimbonda from yesterday. Just scroll up in the timeline to do that. But from myself, Marley and Joel today, that is it on FSD. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.